you vary vary in the grip. You just you just doing your best to uh, cling on, just like if, I suppose if you were drowning and you're just flapping about in the same kind of doing the same maneuvers until you eventually drown, I imagine, or get rescued. <laughs> you know, in my mind, it would have been fifty-fifty as to whether I'd gotten through or fallen off and died. Welcome to Factor Two from UK Climbing. I'm Will Treasure. Episode One: Becoming the Master. We're all familiar with the stories about Cloggy. Johnny Dawes' masterpiece, The Indian Face, is for many UK climbers the epitome of bold wall climbing. But the saga of this face is complex. Anyone who's got a copy of Ken Wilson's books, Hard Rock or Extreme Rock, will know a little bit about this story already. Both books provide a great account of each generation trying to outdo the last. Joe Brown made early attempts on the line that was going to become Great Wall. He retreated, abseiling from a peg, And for many years, that peg was a reminder that Joe Brown was better than you. Pete Crewe thought differently. 1962, he made the first ascent, using aid on the top pitch. In 1975, John Allen, aged just 16 at the time, made the first free ascent, and it quickly became a test piece for the talented. And eyes drift slightly rightwards, to the line that was to become the Indian face. Mick Fowler created Spread Eagle. Ron Fawcett made attempts and John Redhead took a famously huge fall down the wall, falling nearly 80 feet before being held by a stopper that was only half in. He placed a bolt to mark his high point, calling his route the tormented ejaculation. Jerry Moffat was 19 at the time. He was offended by the bolt, so he chopped it. Wearing a pair of sticky rubber fearays, he headed slightly rightwards to create the master's wall. With the Indian face established in 1986... The next focus was to on-site the lines. In 2000, James McAfee, still a teenager, attempted to on-site Master's Wall. The common theme on this wall, then, is bold teenage climbers taking up the task of improving the style. Today we're going to hear from Jerry and Caff about their ascents. Their experiences are quite similar, with one key difference, with Jerry succeeding and Caff having an experience that has lived with him ever since. Here's Caff. This kind of vert, steep face climbing on, on pretty good holds and then you've got the great wall face very technical on very good rock really yeah I find it probably more imposing than Scarfell for bold wall climbing it's got to be amongst you know it's got some of the boldest face facey slab climbs that there is in the UK possibly the boldest you know like margins of the mind you know it's um, really serious you know you've not, not got much gear at all and the gear that's there isn't very good and the same on, um, you know, the, the routes on the main face, on, um, you know, the Great Wall, you know, Indian Face, Master's Wall. Kit is appalling. <laughs> it's really bad. Moffat was obviously on fire at the time. No, I don't think I'm arrogant. I mean, if somebody, if you ask Adam Andre who the best climber in the world is at the moment, it would say I am. It's just a matter of fact, you know. Do I think I was an amazing climber? Looking back on it, from what people are doing now, no, it's probably crap. This is Jerry Moffat, first ascensionist and self-proclaimed best climber in the world in the early 90s. If, you, if I spoke to you in 83, for instance, when I did Master's Wall, what are your goals? I'd say I want to do the most dangerous climbs I can possibly do. I want to do dangerous, long, hard runouts. Just because that's what climbing was back then, you know, people drove motorbikes fast, I had a GSXR 1100, which was the fastest bike in the world. And I tell you, every day you got on that bike and I went out, I used to make, put my helmet on, but just, you know, you want to try and survive it. 
And there's a history in England of doing dangerous climbs. There's a real history and it set it apart from any any other country in the world really at the time. So I wanted to, to keep the tradition of English climbing going. So I wanted to do as dangerous climbs as I could possibly do. You did dangerous routes, you dust out at the crag, you didn't have any money and that's what English climbing was. <laughs> it was it was called Master's Wall and when John Redhead was trying it, I think Fawcett tried it as well and everybody goes, oh, what are you trying? Master's Wall. I knew that it was going to be a super dangerous route. I wanted to... I knew that I had to be in, be used to being in a situation where any mistake was fatal. So I had to be prepare myself and, and get used to that situation. It's something you have to build up, build up and build up and build up. So I remember we'd camped in Redeemy and Adam Wilde. Uh, we hadn't been too healthy the night before. <laughs> uh, but we walked in there and I think we did Vember to get going. I can't remember whether we had a guidebook or not. I had to borrow one or maybe we had an old, old guidebook that didn't even have a master's wall in or something. Uh, so I borrowed a guide and looked at where we were going and um, just set off up. So there's a very small crux area. So when I got to that crux area, I practised the next sort of two or three moves on abseil. So I kind of knew them and I knew, thought, well, at least I know what I'm doing there. And, uh, you know, it was 18. It was on, on site, it was everything. And you couldn't, you know, everything else was cheating. You know, people who wrapped and checked out and head pointed, it was just not the scene uh, in my mind. You know, climbing, I, I wanted it to be a kind of, it was a bit of a feat. I wanted to see how far you could push it when you get into desperation. <laughs> I was pretty much in control for the first part and then the middle part um it was a lot harder than i thought i was just thinking i want i want to get off this thing and i was pretty much fighting for my life so it was one of those car crash type things you're skidding down the road out of control you're just trying to keep the car straight and hope that you come through it it was a little bit like that so i was really i was really scared and sort of out of my depth, really. I didn't really look at it very much on Abseil. You know, I kind of looked at it and I thought, I don't want to check it out too much because I want to save it for the for the ascent to make it exciting, you know? Well, I, I was young. I, I, I expected it to be easy. Uh, you know, not in a nasty way, but, I, you know, I was good on um, technical terrain. You know, I'd done the bells the week before, found it pretty pretty steady going, you know, soloing big E4s in the lakes fast. And then a couple of other E7s like camouflage. I was reasonably amped up. You know, Adam Wilder said, are you going to go for Indian face? Or are you going to go for Master's Wall? And it, and it did give me an idea, or oh, I could go, go for like Indian face. When you're young, you do have quite out there ideas. Um, you know, the bit after the overlap, it's not totally pissed, but I remember it feeling quite easy. And then the first bit of Indian face up the groove line felt pretty easy on good side pull smears. But then I pulled right, and it, I think I made some sequences pretty hard for myself. Uh, and it just because you could climb almost anywhere. So I shoved on some hooks and carried on. And I remember, I think it was a bit green, you know, I don't think it was perfect conditions, vague memory. I got I, I got pretty high and then, you know, got stood up on these edges that I'd felt I'd done a lot of climbing and just got stuck. Having been up there on, on my, my abseil rope now, I can see, uh, you know, you're about two metres down right of the, the, the foot ledge on Indian face, but it is... You could climb almost anywhere. Do you know what I mean? That kind of between 6A and 6C level um, on that ground. And yeah, I didn't, didn't do some sequences brilliantly, but I did. <laughs> I did commit through them. Every sequence just seems to have a hundred possible holds. Do you know what I mean? Like just thumb sprags and 
little edges and you might have the right one then just little side pulls there's these there's a good little edge and a little one there you, then you do quite a tricky stand up onto the side pull and you've got this grab and you can stand rock up and you're almost on a slab but you know not you still want your hands on and also that was the first time I was on the cliff and it might seem I mean it, it does seem ridiculous to me that I thought oh, I'll just set off on it but I think because I was going well I thought right I'll do the harder one first yeah, I, I was knackered when I got there. The thing is, when you're climbing on site, it's very inefficient. So, you know, it's not like I'd got there after 20 minutes of climbing and a rest. It'd take me an hour and a half to work out where I was going. It was a bit green. Um, you know, I was looking for gear. But then I probably spent at least half an hour, maybe even an hour, messing about, trying to work out what to do. Do you know what I mean? Trying to move right. You know, I contemplated trying to pile up left onto the, um, onto the foot ledge on Indian Face. But yeah, I couldn't work it out, or I could, and I couldn't commit, and I think it's good that I didn't commit. Maybe if I'd committed straight away, I might have gotten through, but it would have been, you know, in my mind, it would have been 50-50 as to whether I'd gotten through or fallen off and died. <laughs> but yeah, so I, I got to a point where I thought, well, I'm totally screwed, you know, there's no way I could down climb. So yeah, I, I said, well, I'll drop my ropes to Adam, and uh, he didn't know the cliff either, so uh, he bundled them up, start, set off around. I'd sometimes rock onto the footholds on the slab, and then I'd sometimes sit back down on my foot on the little ledges with a side pull on my right and this crystal pinch on my left. And then sometimes I'd rock back up and use my outside edges of my feet. And then I'd drop back down and I'd just vary the position as much as I can. But I was getting tired, more and more tired slowly. But I was getting more and more tired. Must have been nearly two hours, you know, by the time Adam had gone round. You just, you know, you're in the same position for for a long time so you know the position so you kind of you vary varying the grip you just you just doing your best to uh, cling on just like if, I suppose if you were drowning and you're just flapping about in the same kind of doing the same maneuvers until you eventually drown I imagine or get rescued <laughs> and uh, yeah it was epic in the last half hour I was I was you know I just thought I was you know couldn't hang on you know your tendons are absolutely screaming imagine like a set of repeaters you've done on a fingerboard and you're just on that last edge. That's how it felt for the last half hour. <laughs> I was just in bits, you know, fingers were bleeding. Yeah, I think quite a few of them were bleeding. And yeah, the toes were just, you know, it'd come into the sun. Uh, this fucking, the face, I just remember the sun just blistering me. And it, yeah, it felt bad. It felt really bad. And it felt stupid. I thought, I am going to die. You know, I am going to die on this bit of fucking rock. And it just seemed ludicrous at that point. You know, it it come in with this really strong ethic, you know, of um, on-site climbing, this, that, and either. And then suddenly it just went out the window. So you're just missing out on on all these other opportunities within life. Yeah, I, I, I fully thought it was history. You know, I was clinging on for dear life, but it's, um, you know, I'd thrown my rack off to lighten up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was epic. It's the biggest... It's the biggest epic I've had in climbing, for sure. You know, I remember shouting and screaming for Adam at some point. I was like, Adam, you know, I'd gotten, I'd just gotten towards him. My tether was like, Adam, you know, where are you? Where, you know, and um, and then he, I remember him swearing back at me, just shut the fuck up, <laughs> you know, and he was, he was panicking as well. And then I remember the rope draping down to the right. It was about two or three metres, you know, out of reach. Fuck! I'm gonna die with with uh, safety in reach. 
and then he pulled it back up and it just and eventually flung him and he was out of sight you know up on the, the top of the cliff out of sight and he threw two ropes tied together and I remember it draping across me and um and uh, God, I was just flapping I was literally nearly falling off just grabbing a hold of the bugger I somehow managed to um I think I did like a slippery hitch you know like a loop through and a twist and it kind of lengthened and the, the, you know and I swung off and obviously two two like skinny ropes tied together I went miles ended up near the base of Ember and uh, just slithered down unhooked and we, I think we just left I certainly I think they were my ropes I think I just left them <laughs> left everything and just went went and sat by the lake I think I think Adam was um, crying a bit when we got down I think I might have been I, I, I think I was laughing and crying Either it nearly sent me mad yeah, I mean, I couldn't feel my toes for some time afterwards. Uh, I can't remember how long, maybe weeks, because um, I'd been curled up in rock shoes and high, high amount of stressful pressure put on them. I was wearing red chili habaneros, the orange ones. No, like, I got on well with them. Yeah, I liked, I liked the habaneros. Uh, but yeah, physically, uh, was kind of fine. Didn't think I'd climb again. It's given me more than anything in life, I would have said. But um, <laughs> at the time, I did, it was like... Yeah, I just didn't know if I'd be able to after that experience, you know, to go near a rock face again. I remember we, we drove down Kumpenant. I just put my feet in the water. We had this awesome egg sandwich, you know, and the food just, it's the best. I think it's the best food's ever tasted <laughs> for me. Yeah, just put my feet in the in the river and then we drove back, I think, the day after to um, to the lakes. What I find fascinating about these accounts is that Caff and Jerry had pretty similar experiences on the route. The one difference being that little bit of abseil inspection got Jerry out of trouble and left him feeling invincible. While Caff drove back to the lakes, unsure if he'd ever climb again, Jerry's reaction was quite different. All around that time I was doing a lot of solos, so I mean, every time when I was going up to abseil down to clean it and look at it and stuff like that, I'd solo a different thing. I think I soloed Great Wall, I soloed the boldest, so I think it's called Curving Arette, another sort of E, might be E3 or E4. Yeah, that they were on site. The Great Wall I'd done three years ago, but I couldn't remember any of the moves. I didn't, wasn't really going to solo it, I was just sort of set up the thing. I sort of started going up the thing for a look and then just carried on and, and soloed that. So every day I was soloing a lot of things. It might have been the next day I went up and I was, I was feeling so good and so in control I just thought, I'm not going to die today. I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't want to put any pressure on myself. I went up to the Cromlech and I just thought, oh, I'll just, I'd never done cemetery gates. I think I did, maybe did cemetery gates first. And then I thought, I'll just have a look at the right wall. And then I think I did left wall. I did the foil, memory lane uh, and cenotaph. I just, I don't know, I just woke up that day and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to do it. Rather, I just thought it'd be less dangerous to do them all in one day than do one one day, one the next day, one the next day. So here's an interesting thing. Caff's one of very few people in a position to do all of the routes in extreme rock. He needs to go back to Master's Wall. Absailing down it yesterday, I only found like one shit offset RP high up. You know, so I, I was impressed how much kit I did get <laughs> when I was on the lead, I think. I got um, a couple of really shit RPs. There's no kit I would 
trust to lower off. You know, not fall on, lower off. I, I think the kit has to have changed. I just struggle to imagine how he um, how he survived. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it did sound like he, you know, that he was surprised that he survived. But yeah, the sideways rock six. It's in maybe half. You know, half in sideways wire, in in not a great looking bit of rock. I mean, and I remember when I did an Indian face. You know, where I checked out a couple of runners. There was that. And then a few metres higher, I think I got like an RP0. And then I got the nest, which I thought the nest was appallingly shit as well. I B-leg John Redden on it. He just abseiled down it, looked at all the holes, put some tick marks with some chalk, knew where all the runners were. You know, he said that he was going to go left from the bolt. Maybe he was. But when I saw him do it, he went right. So he put the bolt where those wires were. Maybe he was going to go left. When I took the bolt out before, for me, it was unethical to put bolts on mountain rock. It is, well, I mean, it's obviously unethical because people don't go around putting bolts on mountain rock, do they? You know, would it have been a better route? Maybe it would have been a better route with a bolt in it. I don't know. It'd be nice to have a load more things in there. But at the time, you know, I thought it was unethical. I took the bolt out and did it the way that he was trying it. There's a certain form of empowerment through through doing some dangerous routes you know and i think it adds you know it adds you know it's partly you know partly it might be the history but sometimes danger can add um add quite a lot to a climb and through your ability to deal with that danger you do or you obviously have to go <laughs> with a with a good element of caution within that danger you know you need to build it up it's something you have to build up build up and build up and build up i'd, I'd, I'd mentally thought through it so i'd had some strange reasoning you know being 18 19 but I thought, well, you know, I suppose if somebody for affluence kind of injures a leg or something, then they, they can get well looked after. Do you know what I mean? Like in, in general, and I knew that I would be screwed, you know, I'd be kind of screwed in terms of work and everything else. And I, I saw that as a bad thing. So I said, I would never let that affect my performance. <laughs> does that make Does that make any sense? Do you see what I mean? I thought I'm not going to let, you know, the, the kind of background stop me from, um, you know, push, pushing it out. In terms of the history of Masters, I mean, like I say, in my mind, it'll be probably E8, 6B. And I think Moffat at the time, you know, he'd, you know, it was kind of cutting edge and there weren't many around that level. I mean, that was probably one of the first of that level in the UK. You know, he, he did kind of abseil inspect these things. So that's kind of better than top roping, so to speak. But it, when you're abseiling, you do kind of get a good idea of what's coming up. And it's very different when you go in from the deck, <laughs> it's a lot uh, less efficient when you go in from the deck having not inspected it at all. Um, I will go up there and do it, but I'll I'll, I'll brush it, you know, because I've, you know, I think my on-site effort, I give it in 2000, I'm, I'm pretty proud of <laughs> proud of that. And it's sort of thing I'd, you know, having brushed it up and dicked about on some of the moves and checked some of the kit, I'd be, um, you know, I'd confident I could do it well uh, and in, in nice, you know, I could make a nice lead and enjoy it. Uh, with with that knowledge of what's coming, um, and that'll be the last extreme rock tick I've got to do in Wales. And I think I think it would be good to lay it to rest. I mean, doing Indian first kind of laid that that first rest because I I never thought I would ever go back to that bit of rock, but I did get close. God, even though I'm not climbing now, I'm still a climber. So I still dream about climbing. Had a dream about climbing couple of days ago I was on some big wall and it, it was such an addiction for me 
for me, it's great to get out of it because it was everything. What, what they write in magazines and what actually you are like are two different things, aren't they? And that's an opinion that some journalist has written and they might want to be putting over some sort of, you know, something to sell the magazine or something like that, you know. Leo Holding on-sighted Masters Wall in 97. He was just 17 and he was wearing a pair of shoes that were too big for him. But it still sees fewer scents. Perhaps the eyes of those at that point in the game drift a little leftwards, as John Redhead put it, to the Indian face. A grander prize, perhaps. After all, Master's Wall has been unsighted. So the next challenge... For me, the master, the master would be the person that doesn't fear death and that's in so control of their emotions that they'd walk up to that an on-site solo it. Thanks to Jerry and Kath for their time on this. Jerry's book, Mastermind, is out now. Join me next time for episode two, nine and a half hours. I was approached by a guy in the uh, Camp 4 parking lot, which is where a lot of good adventures start. I was being headhunted. And after about 30 seconds of, 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 of kind of small talk, he said, do you want to do the nose in a day? And I thought, you know, yes, I certainly do. <laughs>